Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Take your Bibles and open it up to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 12, looking at verses 1 through 8, continuing our way through Matthew's Gospel. And I do hope you had a a good Thanksgiving holiday and made lots of memories and I wrestled with whether or not to preach on gluttony being a sin, but I decided against it. So whoever needed to hear that, you're welcome. Probably me, but uh, Matthew chapter 12, let's read verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priests? Verse 5, or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. But Father, as we spend time in your word this morning, help us to see the glory of Jesus, Lord, to see how we can rest in you, Jesus, that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. You are the one who truly can give rest for our souls. Lord, we pray that you would take away the distractions, God, that you would help us to focus on you in these few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to make a promise to you this morning, okay? If you listen to this sermon, you will walk away blessed. You won't just walk away blessed. You'll walk away carefree and abundantly blessed. But you won't just be abundantly blessed. All your problems will go away. And not only will all your problems go away, everything that's broken in your house will be fixed when you get home. And not just that, everything that's wrong with your vehicles will be fixed when you go out and drive them today. But not just that, when you check your bank account this afternoon, it will be exploding with money. All if you listen to my sermon this morning. Okay, now let's take a poll. How many of you believe that? Really? Okay, I see how it is. All right. Promises are only as good as the one making the promise. We get promised things all the time, and and sometimes people who make those promises, we have learned through experience not to believe anything they say. Last week, we looked in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, or 25 through 30, and we saw in 28 through 30 these, these very sweet refreshing words come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest that's a promise 
Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Twice Jesus promises us, if you come to me, I will give you rest. The question is, is he a reliable promise maker? It sounds nice, doesn't it? Rest, I'll give you rest, rest for your souls. I mean, who, do, who doesn't want that? But we have a saying, many of us know, if it sounds too good to be true, what? It probably is. But is that true of Jesus? And is that true of his promise to give us rest? It's only good if he can make good on his promise. And so it's probably not a coincidence that right after Matthew records Jesus saying, I will give you rest, you will have rest for your souls, that we have this incident which takes place, if you notice in verse 1, on the Sabbath. And as you well know, the Sabbath day is supposed to be what? A day of rest. And so we have this incident, and we're told in verse 1, from the get-go, that this is on a Sabbath. So, so my... Uh, Matthew has put these two accounts side by side, and really verses 1 and 2 set the stage for what Jesus has to say. How can Jesus be our source of rest when we see what we see in verses 1 and 2? It says his, they were going through the grain fields. He could have gone around the grain fields. He didn't have to go through the grain fields, but he goes through the grain fields. His disciples are hungry, and they begin to pick some and eat the heads of grain. Then in verse 2, the Pharisees see this and they condemn them. They say, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Okay, so Jesus promised us rest, but here we have his disciples supposedly breaking the Sabbath, breaking the law. So immediately to our, if we use our sanctified imagination, being a, a first century Jew, first time reading through Matthew, wait a minute, this guy just promised rest, but now his his followers are breaking the Sabbath. How can this guy be the source of the rest that I so desperately need? More importantly, how can he be the Lord? How can he be the Messiah, the promised one, and the Savior when he seems to be okay with the law being broken? We've been talking about Jesus not meeting our expectations. And in verse 2, we see a group that repeatedly ran afoul with Jesus, the Pharisees. And they said, Your disciples have broken the law of the Sabbath. Well, did they? Did they break the law? Or did they break someone's interpretation or addition to the law? It is true that the people of God were to rest on the Sabbath. This is the fourth commandment. You can go read it in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. And if you go there, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. You must not do any work. Why? For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So they are supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. So, it seems like a pretty clear, cut, dry case here. I, I don't know what else there is to say. Jesus 
It seems like Jesus is not the Messiah. His disciples are breaking the law and he seems to be okay with it. So, you know, we can call it a, a, a quick day. We can go home, case closed, stamp it, right? Case closed, on it, move on. But you remember that verse in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, where it says Jesus is our advocate? You remember that verse? And you remember that's a legal term. Jesus is our defense attorney. So does Jesus take this uh, accusation lying down? No, he, he puts on his lawyer hat. And so in verse 3, he takes up the case. He says, well, hold on a minute. Case is not closed. Because look at what he says in verse 3. He says to them, haven't you read? Wow. So he comes out swinging. Jesus is like, okay, really, uh, have you not read? The, the ESV translation, I think, gets closer to the tone. He goes, okay, so you're telling me, have you not read these texts, these stories? And notice he's saying this to the religious PhD holders of his day, the Pharisees. That's like someone going on a long, profound discourse about why people shouldn't have free speech and they're a, a senator or the president or something, and then you just go, have you not read the Bill of Rights? Have you forgotten this foundational part of you know, the whole conversation? Have you not read and so Jesus comes out and says, I'm curious as to how you came to this conclusion because have you not read these examples? And he gives three examples of what's wrong with their interpretation and how their interpretation misses the mark. He, he mentions the, the story of David. He talks about the priests. And then he talks about the temple. And he works through those. And Jesus uses each example Ultimately, to teach us something about himself. He uses the example of David. He says, okay, well, let's just take your accusation here and hold it up to the light of Scripture. He says, haven't you read that what, what David did when those were with him were hungry and how they entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for them to eat, but it's for the, only the priest? Well, in that case, it seems like it was allowed there was an exception made. Something took precedent over blind allegiance to a law. Jesus says, if we think about the example of David, that doesn't quite hold up because he did something, but, but ultimately God blessed him for it. But then he says, but, but now I think about it, there's, there's another case. What about the priests? He says in verse 5, or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days the priests and the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? And so there he's talking about if you went to Numbers 28, you could go look at it later. Numbers 28 verses 9 through 10 where it talks about that the priests offer sacrifices on the Sabbath. And if you know anything about what it took to offer a sacrifice, that was work. They were working on the Sabbath. They were offering sacrifices on the Sabbath day, and Jesus says, and they are innocent. So he says, so I've given you two examples of how your interpretation doesn't necessarily hold up. But then he goes on to another one, and he talks about that they were the priests, where? In the temple. Something about the temple. Because it was the temple, it was allowed. They were, they were priests serving in the temple. And, and on that level, Jesus says, they served, they worked, and were innocent. But then notice what he says in verse 6. 
I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. So Jesus saves his his punchline for the end where he says, it's not just so much about David, and it's not just so much about the priests, and it's not even so much just about the temple. Something greater is here. And I think Jesus is referring to himself. if, If it's true with David and the priests and the temple, how much more is it true with Jesus Christ? He says something is greater here. And so when we go back and we look, we see that he's hinting at this all along. With the coming of Jesus, we have someone who is greater than the priest. He is our great high priest. We have someone better than David. He's a son of David who fulfills the promise and the Davidic covenant. We have a Messiah who is the true temple, who came and, and tabernacled, and, and God met with his people in Christ. And so if all of those instances with David and the priest were times when good was done on the Sabbath, and it was okay, then the case of the Pharisees is not looking good, is it? So where did the Pharisees go wrong? If their interpretation is not correct, where did they go wrong? I would suggest to you that they had, they had, what they had done was they had taken good news meant for rest and turned it into a burden of work. In reality, the Sabbath was meant to be a day of rest, but the Pharisees had conjured up so many rules and so many regulations about what and was not work that it became what was meant to be a day of rest turned into a burden. They made rest something we must do. And isn't that the opposite of rest? They made rest something we must carry out. And here's where we have to realize if rest is something that we have to work for, then we'll never achieve it. Do you see the paradox? The Pharisees are saying you have to work so hard to rest. Doesn't make sense, does it? Now, if it's true... We must work for rest, then we'll never achieve rest. Take that statement and substitute the word salvation for rest. If we must work for our own salvation, then we'll never achieve our salvation. You see what the Pharisees are doing? They are placing an impossible burden, expecting the impossible, that people could actually keep this law, number one, that they were in and of themselves, able to do it. And so we begin to see the problem. The Pharisees presupposed that this Sabbath could be kept perfectly and that it should be kept perfectly. But that's not even the big issue. Jesus says they misunderstood, they misinterpreted, they misimplied the law in and of itself. Because look at verse 7. Jesus says, if you had known what this means, quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. In other words, Jesus tells these religious PhDs of the day, you don't understand the scriptures. And he quotes Hosea 6.6. The full verse, if you go and look at it, says, I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So in Hosea's day, many are relying on cold, empty rituals. They're going through the motions, but their heart is not in them. 
They're thinking just by doing the work, regardless of how uh, they feel about it or whether they even mean it, doing the act itself, the sacrifice, the whatever, is enough. But the Lord speaks through Hosea and says, What I'd rather have, instead of you just offering sacrifices and burnt offerings, what I, what I desire is faithful love, mercy, and knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I'd rather that you seek to know me, that you seek to love me. I care more about that than all the sacrifices and all the burnt offerings. So they were doing the law as they ought, but there was no heart or knowledge of God driving them. In Hosea 6-7, the Lord says, in 6-6, he says, I desire faithful love and knowledge of God. Then in verse 7, he says, but they, like Adam, have violated the covenant. There they have betrayed me. Ouch. The Pharisees know this verse. To, to so emphasize the, the legal going through the motions over the substance is like Adam violating the covenant. He's telling the Pharisees that when you substitute a reliance on the outward external appearance, when you substitute that, you are actually violating the covenant itself. So in Hosea, the Lord says, I don't want your empty rituals if it's not from a place of love. I don't want your burnt offerings if you're not seeking to know me. And the Pharisees had failed to understand this basic teaching. So he says, if you did, you would not have condemned the innocent. Why would they have not condemned the innocent? Why is it that they fail at this basic point? He says, I desire mercy. Jesus says, if you had any idea what the Lord was like, you would know he desires mercy. If you had the tiniest true perception of who the Lord is, you would know he cares way more about showing you mercy than whether you've got your act together. Whether you've got these forms down. Whether you're doing everything right. He desires, he wants, his heart is bent towards showing you mercy. And what did the Pharisees do? They failed at that basic point. Instead of seeing men who are hungry, needing food, and showing mercy, what do they do? They see men breaking their own created regulations. Jesus says you would not have condemned the innocent. So Jesus declares them innocent of all charges. Now, this is Jesus, the Lord, the one who created all things. He is the one who was there in the beginning. He rested on the seventh day as well. And Jesus himself says they're innocent of all charges. They have not broken the law, nor are they guilty. And by extension, he declares that he is not guilty of breaking the law. And so if the Pharisees had missed the point, Jesus says, if you had understood that the Lord desires mercy, you would not have condemned the disciples. How can Jesus say that? Well, he tells us in verse 8. 
He says, for, so if you had known, you would not have condemned. Why? What's the reason behind that? For, that word for indicates the reason for what he just said. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man, that is a, a loaded description. That, that is a messianic title. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one that is come. I am the Son of Man, and I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus gives the Sabbath its significance, not the Sabbath giving Jesus his significance. The Sabbath is not Lord over Jesus. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath doesn't... Uh, Jesus' whole life, who He is, does not revolve around the Sabbath or around creation. Creation and Sabbath revolve around Him. So He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. But this also means that He's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of what? Rest. He says, the Son of Man is the Lord of rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. How can Jesus be the one that gives us rest? Because he is the Lord of rest. And so what we see in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, is that all the Davidic promises, all the priestly activities, the Sabbath rest, the law, all find their fulfillment in Him. And so we ask, can Jesus truly give us the rest for our souls, the rest that we seek? And the glorious answer is yes. And the glorious reason is because He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He exercises lordly power and authority over rest and so the question is how can we have that rest for our souls how can we ask and receive a better first question might be why don't we have rest in the first place the reason we don't have rest is because of sin we had rest in the garden humanity had rest god created adam and eve and they were without sin and they lived at perfect rest and perfect harmony with creation and with God, and it was beautiful, it was paradise, but, but they sinned. And they were kicked out of the garden, and ever since then, we have not had rest. And so we really have two options for that rest. We don't have it, we want it. There are really two choices. We either work for it and attain it, or it is given to us. Those are your two choices. If you want rest in your heart, if you want that rest, that peace, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, that rest that Jesus talks about, rest for your soul, there's two ways you can get it. You work for it and you earn it, or it's given to you. Let's consider the first option. Let's, let's assume you can work for it. Well, isn't that sacrificing? I mean, isn't that what the, the, the Old Testament and the law and, and sacrifice, we, we sacrifice things for rest, right? 
Maybe I will feel at peace if I could just make a certain amount of money. Maybe if I, I'll be at peace if I could just find the right spouse or something. Or if I, if I have children. Maybe I'll be at peace. And so we, we sacrifice. We work and work. We work. We work for rest. But as we said, if we have to work for rest, we can never attain it. The reality is, is that no matter how hard we work for rest, our work is stained by our sin. The desire itself to try to work for rest and gain that rest has pride woven into it. It has idolatry woven into it. And so rest attained, rest reached for, rest earned is really not possible. So then, our only hope for rest because of our sin Because we can't earn it ourselves. Our only hope is if mercy is shown to us. And that's why it's so beautiful what Jesus says. He says, I desire mercy. Jesus looks at the only way that we can have rest. And that's if he he is merciful. If he desires mercy. If he desires to show us mercy. And we look to him, waiting, and he answers, I desire mercy. That is rest given versus rest achieved or attained or earned. So if you remember nothing else this morning, I hope that you will remember this. Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, He can truly give you rest for your soul through His mercy. Let me say that again. Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, He can truly give you rest for your soul through His mercy. Our God is a merciful God. Jesus is a merciful Savior. The flip side of mercy is obviously grace. Paul tells us that we are saved by grace. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. And God's grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. The good news is is that Jesus is both merciful and merciful. Perhaps you don't think you can come to Jesus for rest because of all the bad things you've done. Jason, you don't know the week I've had. You don't know what a, the, the sins that I committed this past week. How is it possible that I can have rest? Shouldn't I clean my life up? Shouldn't I, shouldn't I sacrifice? Shouldn't I work and then maybe get... No, 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 no. Come to Jesus knowing He is merciful and will be merciful. God in Christ, prefers to show you mercy. And maybe you're here this morning and, and for whatever reason, the, the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart and you don't know this rest that we're talking about. You've never experienced rest that, that, that is like rainwater that, that doesn't just stay on the surface of the ground but goes all the way down and and calms whatever 
whatever fire is in your heart and in your soul, whatever anxiety, whatever, whatever it is that you've been dealing with, that you've been holding on to, that, that has not given you rest, can I tell you that the reason you don't have rest is because you're trying to find it apart from the Lord of rest? So for you, Jesus stands and says that you can have rest for your soul if you will come to him and ask. Say, forgive me for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. And I trust you as the one who can save me and give me rest. If you'll do that and you mean it, like Hosea talks about, like Matthew and Jesus talks about. If it's sincere and genuine, even just a little bit. You don't have to have all the questions answered. You don't have to figure everything out. All I want you to think about is, do I want rest for my soul? And if you do, Jesus is who you need to turn to. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ who... God gives us such beautiful promises. And the promises are beautiful in and of themselves, but it's even better when we know and remember that He is totally and completely able to keep those promises. So when we come to you, Jesus, seeking rest for our souls, you, there, there's no small fine print on the backside. You say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you can fulfill that promise because you are the Lord of rest. You are merciful. God, we are sinners, and because of our sin, we were separated. And the only hope we have was that our sin be dealt with. And that we be made right with God. And Jesus, you did that. And then you showed mercy to us. So for every single believer in this room, there's no reason we should leave here without that rest in our hearts, deep in our spirits. And for anyone here who doesn't have that rest, and they, and they don't really know why, they just know something, I, I, they know I want that I want that rest. Lord, would you show them how they don't have to get it all together. They don't have to fix themselves first. Nowhere in these two passages are we told anything other than come to you and you will give us rest. So Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would turn to you and trust you. And find rest. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.